Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. If you count yourself as a visitor, we'd like to welcome you back here at Annex Street at any time you have available. I hope we have something to say this morning that will benefit you in some way as we travel along life's way. What we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be starting our uh, new series here this morning over the Ten Commandments. And uh, if you remember in Exodus, when Moses led the people out of bondage in Egypt and they had crossed over the Red Sea, he went into a mount to talk to God. Now, I'm sure that was an experience. I'd like to maybe say I'd have that on my bucket list to have a conversation with God. But what God did up there with Moses was He laid out His law for His people. He laid out ten basic things that the rest of their laws would be based on. And on these ten laws, they added unto them, but all of them went back to that basic law that Moses got that day on the mountain. The first one is, no, you shall have no gods before me. Because God's a jealous God. We should have no gods in front of God. You shall make no carven image. No idols. Anything like that. You shall not take my name in vain. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not covet anything that is your neighbor's. On all those ten laws, all the rest of the laws were based. They went back to those. All of these have been repeated by Jesus, save the Sabbath day. And we are going to have ten lessons over each of these, because I believe even though the Sabbath day was of the old law, there's some things we can learn of that. But what we're all going to be pointing back to throughout this whole series is I say I'm a Christian, but I live like I'm an atheist. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? Nobody wants to be associated with an atheist. Nobody wants to say, oh, I don't believe, at least in here, I hope. Nobody wants to say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe there's a God. But sometimes we live that way. And it's a dangerous situation to be in. Because in here we would all like to claim, yeah, I'm a Christian. If somebody did a poll and called us, Are you, do you consider yourself a Christian? I could probably say with certainty in this room, 100% of you would say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus and I believe in God. Nobody's going to say, no, I'm an atheist. I don't believe. Now, maybe you would and maybe I'm not reading the audience properly, but I don't believe that would happen. So what we're going to talk about throughout these studies over the Ten Commandments is how violating them is living like an atheist. How violating these ten laws, nine laws that we live by, ten laws that the Jewish people in the Old Testament live by, was living like an atheist. And I'm not here to tell you to your face that you are living like an atheist. I cannot say that for you and you cannot say that for me. But I can say for certain if you are violating these laws on a regular basis, 
and really don't care to change, you're living like an atheist. And, and we will hope to prove that throughout these 10 studies and show you why it's important that we follow these. I have been charged this morning, we're not going to go in order, I've been charged this morning with talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. Whenever I first got this topic, I, the first thing I thought about, what's in the name? You know, 36 years ago, Marlon and Beverly Cole had a son and decided to name him Jeremy, and here I am. I had no choice in that matter. They didn't ask me what I wanted to be named. They didn't ask my brother or my two sisters what they wanted to be named either. So we had nothing to do with that. But who gave God His name? Who gave the creators of the world His name? I want to tell you, it wasn't people. God didn't take a poll and ask, what should my name be? You know, whenever Braxton and Delilah were born... Amber sat around and thought because she wanted them to have family names. They didn't sit around and think about that. They had no choice in that matter. But now, as I'm older, you hear my name, you think of things. Maybe some not so good things. Hopefully some good things. But what, what do we think about when we think about the name of God? And that, this morning, that's what we're going to strive to study this morning, is what we should think about when we use the name of God. Because I believe it's very important how we use it and when we use it. The first thing we're going to have to do is define what vain means. Vain means producing no results or useless. We using, using the name of God in a useless way or using it as a throwaway word. How often do we do that? You know, there's words I use all the time that really don't have much use. But do we use the name of God in a useless way? Use it as a word that, oh, I'm just going to throw it out there and see what sticks. I'm going to use it to emphasize what I'm saying. There's a song back when I was growing up by a country group named Montgomery Gentry, and they were talking about when they were younger. How God was a the name they used to get a point across when they got mad. Is that how we use the name of God? Oh, I'm mad, so i got to get my point across. So I'm going to use the name of the Almighty God to do it. Or maybe you don't fit into that particular area, but maybe this generation today, OMG, everything's OMG. Every time you look around on social media, it's OMG. And for all y'all, the older people that don't understand that, that means, oh my God. That means they were startled to the point where they uttered the name of God. One that I've been guilty of using on time to time, thank God. You know, I was about 16, and I'd been riding the bus to school because being my dad, being my dad, bought me a car that wouldn't run all the time. So I was riding the bus to school. One morning, my mom got up and she said, your car needs to get out of the shop. We're going to go get it. And I go, man, thank God. I was tired of riding that bus. But then she said something to me. She said, I'm not going to judge what you said. She said, but are you really thanking God for that? Or are you just using it for emphasis? You know, I believe these right here can be used in a way that is totally inspiring to God. You know, 12 years ago, 
before Amber and I got married, maybe even closer to 13 now, we went and uh, did some premarital counseling with Mike McCorkle at his house. And they had this show that ran on Sundays. Like they were doing it on a Sunday afternoon. And it was called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And what it was, many of you may remember the show, is that they took somebody that had tragedy happen or of some nature and their house was falling apart and they would rebuild their house for them. Well, Mike had this device on his TV called the Guardian Angel, which would bleep out all the bad words. And the people out there walking through this house were uttering, Oh my God, thank God. And I was wondering, why are they bleeping that out? Because I could tell these people were being as serious as all get out. And Mike goes, That little box can't tell intent. But you know what? Who can tell intent? The Almighty God we serve. So whenever we're talking about praise God, thank God, oh my God, we need to do it in a reverent fashion. In Leviticus 19 and 12, And you shall not swear to my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You know, I saw uh, a church sign when we were, I can't remember what town I was driving through. But it says, if, if you have to swear, use your own name. If you have to swear, use your own name. Don't use God's name. Don't use God's name like a swear word. Which half the time I think a lot of this is. I'm just going to use it as an as a adjective to really brighten my language and get my point across of how mad I am. Or maybe something's really been bothering you and something finally happens. You're like, praise God. I'm just relieved. I'm so relieved i got to use that word. Don't use the name of God in a profane way. If you're going to use it, use it to praise God and to lift God up. Don't use it to make, give your point emphasis. <clears throat> How, what are other ways we can take the Lord's name in vain? Man, I swear to God. You ever heard anybody say that? You know, whenever I was growing up, that was a line we used in school whenever we were trying to tell somebody something. They weren't quite believing it. <laughs> I'm so serious, I'm going to swear to God about this. You don't believe me? Well, I'm going to swear on this. I'm going to swear on that. And if they really still didn't believe you, then you brought out the big guns. I'm going to swear to God. But remember, in Leviticus 19 and 12, it says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely. Now, I wonder how many times we've used that, and I really wasn't being totally honest about that. It was just something I really wanted you to believe for my own personal benefit at the time. It's not good to swear by his name falsely. It's not going to end up well for you. Because God expects you, when you swear by his name, to to uphold what you're swearing to. Jesus even went a little bit further in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard and said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. So he's saying, you know, in in the Old Testament, you heard... You shouldn't swear falsely. 
But do the oaths you say to God. I'm going to follow through on the oaths I say to God. So if I take an oath on God, I'm going to fulfill that oath. But Jesus even took it a step further. He says, but I say unto you, do not swear neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because ye cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatsoever is more than these is from the evil one. Have we ever promised something besides on God? Sometimes you uh, see it on TV. I swear on my mama's grave. I swear on my body. And Jesus saying, you know how ludicrous that is to swear on your own self? You can't control yourself. You can't control it if you have black or white hair. Well, I guess these days you can if you get the right dye, but you can't naturally do it. So what's wrong with just saying yes, and that's yes, and I'm going to do it? Or just saying no, and that means I'm not going to do it. Why do we have to put all these emphasis on everything? Why do we have to put our neck out there on the line like that? Because if you swear by God, you're going to stand account of that one day. And he's going to take into account how you held up to that. Why put your neck out there on the line? Why not just say yes and I'm going to do it or no and I'm not going to do it? Makes a little bit more sense, don't you think? Let's talk about making oaths to God. When you make a vow to God, how many of us have ever said, oh God, if you just do this for me, I'll do this for you? Whatever the situation is, if you'll just help me out of this situation, then I'll do this for you. You know, we've all heard stories like this. One of my favorites is a man whose boat was out in the ocean and it started to sink. And he was about 200 miles from the shore. And he said, God, if you just let me make it to the shore, I'll give you everything I got. When he got about halfway, he said, okay, God, I'll give you 50%. I'll give you 50% of everything I got. 25% of the way in, oh, Lord, I'll give you a quarter of everything I got. When he made it to the beach, God, I'm not going to give you anything. You didn't do anything. I did all the swimming. Do we do that? When God holds up to his end of the bargain, do we neglect our end? Too many times I say that's the case. I'm not going to say that in every case, but I would fair to adventure a fair amount of the time. That's the case. We don't hold up to our end of the bargain a lot. When we look in Judges chapter 11, there's a story here of a Jephthah. And in verse 30 of Judges chapter 11, it says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah's here, and he's in the middle of a battle. And he says, God, if you deliver these people into my hands and we beat them, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, I'll sacrifice it to you as a burnt offering for how great a victory you gave to me. Whatever comes out of my doors first. Okay? He made that vow to God. He said, God, if you give me the victory, 
This is what I'm going to do for you. In verse 32, So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from error as far as Minth, twenty cities, and to Abel Carmium, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Well, God kept up his end of the bargain. Jephthah wiped them out. Twenty cities worth. So now it's time for Jephthah to hold up his end of the bargain. Now, as he's on his way home, he's probably happy. He just had a victory and he's getting to go home. I don't know what he thought would be coming out that door first. You know, my sister-in-law has a pet pig. Maybe he had a pet pig that he thought would be coming out there first. I don't know. Maybe some sort of dog or goat. I don't know what he thought when he made that promise to God. But on his way home, he was probably pretty happy. I'm getting to go home, see my family and my loved ones. What happens when he gets home? When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So he's sitting there coming home all happy, then the first thing he sees coming out to meet him is his dancing only daughter. Now as a father, wouldn't that just tear your heart out? I'm going to be coming home from war, I'm going to get to celebrate with my daughter. But I told God, whatever comes out of my door first to meet me, I'm going to sacrifice it. Now, if you continue reading that story, you can give a whole sermon on the way Jephthah's daughter reacted to this. You know what she told him? She said, if you made, your, made a vow to the Lord, you need to keep it. But she said, give me some time to go be with my friends. So he gave her two months. And after that, he did what he promised to the Lord. And it had such an effect on the land of Israel that it became... Something they did every year for four days, they would mourn the loss of Jephthah's daughter. Now you read of stories all the time of people sacrificing to God. You know, we read of Abraham and Isaac all the time. And God stopped that. Well, but why wouldn't God stop Jephthah? There's a big difference in those two stories. One of them, Abraham commanded, was commanded by God to go sacrifice his daughter. God did not command Jephthah to make a vow to him to sacrifice whatever came out of his door first. Jephthah did that of his own free will. And God allowed this to happen to show you how seriously God takes it whenever you vow something to him. He expects you to hold up your end of the bargain. He expected Jephthah to hold up his end of the bargain even though it cost him his only daughter. So maybe we need to think next time before we make a vow to God or about God or with God's name and think how seriously he really takes that. Jephthah knew how serious God took it. Because the first thing he said is, I made a vow to God and I can't go back on it. As much as I want to, I can't do it. 
If you make a vow to God, you cannot go back on it. It won't be good for you. No matter what it costs you. If God holds up his, when God holds up his in the bargain, we need to hold up ours when we do this. But like I said, God doesn't force us to make vows to him. He did not say, Jephthah, you make me this vow and I'll keep, I'll, I'll uh, give you the battle. Jephthah did that of his own free will. He went to God and said, hey, if you give me the victory here, I'll sacrifice whatever comes out of my door. God does not force us to take vows in his name. As a matter of fact, Jesus, as we just read, tells us not to because it's so serious. Another way we take his name in vain is when we teach falsely in his name. That's serious business. Whenever you teach something that God says, you need to make sure that's what God said. In Jeremiah 14 and 14, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you false vision, deviation, and a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. They're attaching God's name to something that's worthless and trying to teach it as his own teaching. That's serious business. You know why that's serious business? There's no other way people can be saved but through God and through Jesus. And when we're telling something falsely and we're putting his name on it, we're giving them false hope. That's why we as teachers are going to be judged a little bit more harshly on the things that we say. Because we need to make sure what we're teaching is what God wants taught. Not what we want taught. In Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who doeth the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And drove many wonders in your name? And then he shall declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. That's some good stuff they're doing. They're prophesying in the name of God. They were casting out demons in the name of God. But they were doing things in the name of God God didn't give them the authorization to do. When you teach in God's name, you make sure it's what God wants taught. Because if not, you're attaching God's name to something that's worthless. Yeah, it might be a good opinion to you, but to God it's just something that's worthless. That's what you're saying they were doing in Jeremiah. They're just attaching my name to things that are worthless. Things I didn't command them to say. Things I didn't send them to say. You know, we read of all these men who've had visions. God told me to tell you this. God told me to tell you that. And I'm not here today to say they didn't see what they think they saw. I, can't, I don't know what they saw. But I can tell you I know what the Bible says. And if they tell me anything different than what the Bible says, I know that isn't from God. We need to be very careful when we teach in the name of the Almighty God. We need to make sure we're teaching the things that He wants taught, not what we want taught. Because you know what? To be honest with you, there's some changes I would make if it was just my personal opinion. But that's not what God wants. God wants His ways taught. And you know what's so hard about that? In Isaiah, Isaiah tells us our ways are not like God's ways. His ways are so much higher than ours, we can't understand them all the time. 
We may not understand why God wants us to teach things certain ways. We may not understand why God didn't spare Jephthah's daughter. It may not be something we would do. But we know what God would do through His Word. And we need to live up to that Word. And when we teach that Word, we need to make sure it's coming from God's Word. Even if we're not even teaching from the pulpit up here. If we're going around our neighborhood teaching things that we shouldn't be teaching in the name of God, we need to reevaluate what we're doing. Because I believe God, God takes that very seriously when you apply His name to something He didn't endorse. As a matter of fact, He said it was worthless. So we really need to be careful about that. Even though it may sound good, if it's not what God wants taught, we don't need to be teaching it. Well, what did Jesus say about the name of God? If you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, He taught them how to pray. And He said, "This in this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. I'm not going to go into the rest of it, but what does hallowed mean? It means honor is holy, make holy and consecrate, greatly revered or respected. That's how we need to use the name of God in a revered and respected way. We don't need to be attaching His name to things that are worthless. We don't need to be using His name in a worthless way. And we don't need to be emphasizing our promises saying, I swear to God I'm going to do it. That's not what we need to be doing. We need to use the name of God like it's meant to be used. In a reverent way. In a praiseworthy way. Not in just any other way I want to use the word. It's just like any other word. It's not like any other word. That is the God that created you. That is the God that gave you His Son to forgive your sins. You use that name in a way that is reverent. Or you don't use it at all. When you, embark, when you call on the name of the Most Holy God... You use it that way, like it's holy. You know, there's some things that I'll reverence in my house. I have autographed footballs. I have them all nice and protected. But you know what? If this country were to fall and say the world goes on 10,000 years and somebody found that, they're not going to have much reverence for that. What is that? But we should always be reverenced towards the Creator. Why would we want to be reverent to the Creator? Why, 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 does, why would God care if we use His name in a reverent way? He's God with or without us doing that. Here's something that you might just want to think about. God is sitting on His throne watching us every day. He says, I sent my son to save these people. And they're going to use my name like a cuss word. They're going to use my name in a worthless fashion. How would I feel if I gave my son for people and then they use my name in a bad way? It wouldn't make me happy. Not only that, there's imperfections. You can talk about me. I'm not perfect. You can associate non-perfect things with my name. And you have every right to do that. But God has committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin. Those are names that need to be reverent. Because of what they did for you and what they did for me. And we need to make sure we use those names in a reverent way. 
I claim I'm a Christian, but I live like an atheist. How does this lesson we've given this morning tie into that? You know, as I was talking about my autographed footballs in the culture, if we go on 10,000 years, that found that in rubble, wouldn't have had much reverence for it. Atheists don't have reverence for God. Why would they have reverence for something they don't believe in? I don't reverence things I don't believe in. I don't hold them up on a lofty stat in a lofty state. Atheists don't do that with God either. They don't think there's anything special about that name at all. They think it's something we made up just to make ourselves feel better. So every time you use the name of God like it's a throwaway word, you're acting like you don't believe in Him at all. Because He has warned you about what will happen when you do that. The Scripture is full of warnings. Take the story of Jephthah. He vowed on God's name and he paid for it. His daughter paid for it too. It affected not just Jephthah but other people. God expects you to use his name with reverence. And if you don't, it's like you don't even believe he exists at all. You know, and the psalmist tells us that the fool says in his heart there is no God. And what do we do when we take the Lord's name in vain? I'm basically saying I don't believe what God said. But he said, if I did this, I'd have to account for it, but I don't believe it. I'm acting like I don't care. And I'm not talking about slip-ups. I understand everybody's human. But if that's a part of your everyday vocabulary, we need to change that. Because it's just like any other sin. It can be forgiven, but we need to change it. Because if not, we're going out in the world and showing everybody, yeah, I may claim I'm a Christian, but do I really believe in the God that I slander on a daily basis? Do I believe he's going to do what he said he would do to people that did that? Or do I just kind of use the word flippantly and, oh, I really don't believe God's going to hold that really accountable to me. I'm a good old boy otherwise. I do a lot of other good things. You know, I'm pretty sure Jephthah was a pretty good guy. But God required what Jephthah vowed of him, just like he's going to require what you use his name as. We need to make sure when we use the name of God, we're using it with reverence. And if you can't use it with reverence, don't let it pass through your lips. It'd be better not to even use the name of God than to use it in an irreverent way. Because remember, He sent His Son for you to die for you, and that deserves some respect. Not to be something we throw on the end of a sentence for emphasis. Because I could throw anything on the end of that sentence and emphasize it. Why do I take the name of the Holy God to do it? We need to think about that as we go out into the world this week. How do we use the name of God? Are we using it in a reverent fashion? Or are we just using it like any other throwaway word? I ask you to think about that. And if we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?